This week's episode is brought to you by findem.ai. Want to build more engaged, diverse teams and close your talent gaps faster? Backed by AI and all the world's people data, Findem's people intelligence platform unlocks the insights you need to define what top talent means for your organization. We help you identify your skills and diversity gaps, then close those gaps in the fastest possible time through automatic introductions to top-rated interested candidates. To find out more, go to findem.ai. Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining me on the People Podcast. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. And uh, just to get started, can you give the audience just a quick overview of your background? Yeah, sure. So I am currently the Director of Talent Acquisition with RadNet. We are in national providers of diagnostic imaging, which is radiology, outpatient-based. Spent the past 15 years of my career in healthcare, the last 10 in talent acquisition. Um, in terms of talent acquisition, I always approach it from an operational side because I do come out of healthcare operations. And honestly, I could say I love what we do. Awesome. And uh, yeah, today, today we're going to talk about candidate experience. So just to get started on that subject, what what has kind of happened? Obviously, things have changed so much in the recruiting landscape and the world of work in the last six months. Maybe just talk about like what you guys are doing at RadNet and how that's kind of evolved over the last couple of months from like a candidate engagement and experience standpoint. So I, I think we could backtrack a little bit before we kind of dive into what the pandemic has done, because it's definitely opened eyes. But I think everybody in our space will recognize that over the past five to eight years, there's been a big shift where traditionally it is candidate sell me on why we should hire you. And it has now become so candidate driven that it is candidate organization. Tell me why I should work here. So that in itself was an adjustment for everybody that has become the norm for us. When you throw in the pandemic, I think what we are seeing now, at least what I hope is being done, is organizations are now leading with empathy, practicing flexibility, making sure that they understand that people are exactly that. They are people. Your workforce, your product are your front lines, the people who are taking care of your customers and Controversial or not, no matter what you do, no matter what space you are in, you have a customer. Customer service matters. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, one of the big things that's been so tough, even uh, obviously, you know, I'm in tech quite a bit in hiring landscape and really teaching and mentoring like your hiring manager, especially in like technical trades, so that every candidate engagement is an opportunity to sell them on why it's a great place to work here. Um, that's something that's, I think, really easy for recruiters to do, or at least adapt and adopt that change, but a lot harder for hiring managers. How have you guys, how have you seen, like, as a recruiting, like, leader, how have you helped train in your, like, um, your customer base, which is obviously all your hiring managers, to really pitch and sell RadNet or whatever company? Like, what's your advice on that? So I, I will say it's it's a work in progress. I would say we are not at best practice. But what we have started to identify is if we look at our candidates based on job title, kind of if we profile them, you you get a feeling for what they are looking for out of their career. Why somebody is on the market tells us a lot. And if we could hammer home into their why and what we could do to help them get to their why, 
we are differentiating ourselves from somebody else. So if I am, so for those who don't know, I'm in healthcare, obviously, but if I have a candidate that is hospital-based and they have seven to 10 years of experience in a hospital, I know that they are looking for something that is very different. They want much more patient interaction. They want to spend time with their patients, get to know them. And that really, in my world, outpatient is going to be a huge selling tool. It's going to be, you will get to know your patients. Your patients are going to be coming in asking if you are here because you have developed that rapport with them. So slowing down, delivering that quality of care that most people get into healthcare for becomes a huge selling tool for us. If I flip that around and you're at the beginning of your career, I know that your dream is to enter a hospital, but the hospital is not going to look at you until you have X amount of experience or you're a new grad and you haven't been exposed to higher things. It's called higher modalities. Well, we as an organization could take you in, we could groom you, and we could expose you to these higher modalities. We have tuition reimbursement that could help you advance in your career to learn not just x-ray, but how to move into mammography or CT or MAMO. So it's teaching the hiring manager to get back that whatever their candidate is looking for, that's what we need to make our elevator pitch. It could not be that same old, hi, here's our organization, here's why you want to work here. It's really got to be catered to the person you are meeting with, what is going to get them excited about you? What are you going to do for them? Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's all about individualization. Uh, that's why one of the like we train our recruiters uh, initially to basically fi- figure out. So if I was interviewing you, I'd say, Jeffrey, like, what's your motivation for your next career step beyond like salary? What are like your top three things? And usually in, in tech, it comes out to like, I want to work run like an innovative company with a good culture and X, Y, Z, like insert whatever. But it, it seems that each answer falls into like 10 different buckets or categories. Some people just tell you money or, or whatever the case may be. And <laughs> maybe that's a red flag, but, uh, but you know, everyone has different lifestyle. Usually there's an understory to it. So really figuring out like almost like the candidate psychology uh, of yeah. what they're looking for. So you can paint that experience, right? Cause if I'm looking for a great workplace and you're trying to sell me on like all the innovative technology that we're doing or innovation that we're doing, that might not appeal to me, but appeal to some subset of candidates. Um, so yeah, yeah, you guys are, de- you're definitely on the right track there. At least, um, it sounds like in listen. I, I agree. We're we're definitely going to come across people who are money motivated. They make up a strong percentage of any profession. You need them. You have to have them. But at the same time, if they're going to leave for money, you have to just own who you are as an organization and just prepare for that. But this is what we do. We need to forecast for that type of attrition. If I know somebody is money motivated, they're going to come to me to be a resume builder. All right, let's talk to the hiring manager about knowing we know X amount of time when, when they, we see this type of candidate, we'll have a length of service of them of 10 months. All right. So we know on average, it's going to be 10 months at six to seven months. We really should get a heat check on this person. Maybe they fell in love with the culture. Maybe they have learned money is not everything because I, I could tell you definitively when it comes to healthcare, if you're not hospital based, you are not the best pair. Uh, I will say we need to own who we are. We are not going to be in the 80 to 100 percentile of paying. We try to look at the mid-mark and we want to be market competitive. So we just have to embrace, I would say, any employer, just own who you are, know what your values and strengths are, but do not be resistant to the people that are just going to, for lack of better words, use you to build their resume because you still have a chance with them. They may become enamored with you if you do have that great culture. 
Yeah, totally. And I, I think even if you dive deeper, like historically, like when I've talked to candidates, I feel like at least anecdotally, there's always an underlying issue, like reason why they they need this 10,000 or 20,000 pay increase uh, that they're looking for. And it's generally like their significant other spouse is unemployed or they're a single parent. So there's usually some underlying uh, factors that go beyond just like uh, that human, like, uh, like just the desire to have nicer things. It's usually something much more uh, uh, like practical, I guess. Um, yeah. So definitely like the, the whole, like lead with empathy, uh, as an organization is important, but obviously not bent, like you were saying, bending from your values or what your pay ranges are to accommodate people. Mm -hmm. Cool. So next thing uh, I want to bring up, obviously I posted this, this post the other day on, on social media and I talked about like the future of work. Uh, and it has to do with like candidate experience. Um, I think especially right now with, um, as, as you know, Jeffrey, like tons of unemployment, layoffs, furloughs. So uh, I've actually curious on a side note like how many how much like applicants uh increase you guys have seen across like what you can share um doesn't have to give numbers but like i, I know that we've seen like a three to five x increase in resume volume in the last couple months um and that's kind of flowed into like social media too for us as a business um a ton more we've doubled off our follow account we've been in business for eight years we've doubled our follow account in the last three to four months and it's not because i'm doing anything different on social media it's because we're getting a lot more applicants and they're trying to engage with us in any way they can. Um, but with that said, uh, basically I brought up a concept of like the future of work where you remove a lot of the, the content on somebody's, uh, their resume essentially. Um, so if you were a software engineer, for example, right now at Radnet, it'd be like two and a half years to present. And before that at Twitter, let's say, uh, three years at Twitter, but it wouldn't say that the dates like, you know, June, 2016 to June, 2019, it would just say the amount of experience that you have and take all the dates out. So you can't discriminate based off age or gaps in experience. And like, what are your, what are your thoughts around that? So I, I did see your post. I, I will tell you, I do have mixed thoughts. So we have a lot of things going on right now that we're talking about. So I'll backtrack in terms of say organic applies was one of the things you were talking about. On our frontline staff, our organic applies is up by at least 2x. The major disadvantage we have is, as you know, like you don't need to be in healthcare to understand that the pandemic has caused a major surge in the utilization of diagnostic imaging. However, outpatient is elective. So while we had to slow down, our patient volume took a hit, the hospitals are booming. So, in terms of the skilled labor, the licensed professionals, we are in a battle. We need to be as surgical as possible because while we had to slow down and stop hiring, they added staff exponentially, whether it's a per diem pool or their, their volume surged, they just brought on more FTEs and they said, you know, whatever it takes, even after the pandemic, we'd rather be overstaffed than understaffed. So we are in a war. We are surgical about everything we do when it comes to any type of technologist in radiology. Um, now to go back to what we are talking about on the just years of experience versus the actual dates. I am very mixed. I'd say half of half of me is the agency recruiter who is always fighting for the candidate. The other half is the actual hiring organization where I want to know as much as possible without having to ask. I will say I am a firm believer that years of experience does not equal a skill level. 
So if I had to draw a line in the sand, I would say I'd rather just know what somebody has done for how long. And I do not necessarily care about the year on a calendar because I would also like to eliminate any type of unconscious, subconscious, predetermined bias by whether it's a recruiter and they don't know it or a hiring manager. Seeing 1990 to 2000, getting involved in ageism, I'd rather just know you did something for 15 years, the organizations you were at, and I'm going to probe you on it. Well, that's the point of the interview. Let me find out and talk about it. So if I had to take one side, I would say we could eliminate dates and just tell me what you've done for how long. Right. I think I think that like the fundamental premise of this came originally. I, I advise people to just take off their college graduation dates because it's a really easy for people to uh, discriminate against candidates, um, yeah. either consciously or unconsciously. Um, so let's say like you got a computer science degree, but you got it in 1990, but you've only had five years experience. That'd be like a, a huge red flag, but um, it, it, it probably is like, I don't know why you have a huge, that large of a gap in uh, employment, but, but nonetheless, like it's advantageous to the candidates to be able to explain that at least you'd have a conversation and be able to, maybe there's a very valid reason. Like my posts mainly around and, and ideas around like maternity leave, paternity leave, all the great um, time off that parent, new parents can have, or whether you're laid off or had to care for like a sick uh, parent or somebody that's elderly that you were taking care of. So there's all sorts of different reasons for people taking or just taking a sabbatical, you're burned out, you're at a fast-paced startup. For yeah, I think what we're seeing right now is going to lead towards empathy in gaps of employment. I, I'm hoping people are not surgically scrutinizing, looking at things with a microscope, and really pulling down the interrogation lamp on explain to me what happened these 14 months that you didn't work. Because the 14 months they didn't work, they're still keeping their skills. Let's talk about what did you do the 14 months that you weren't working? How did you stay current? Tell me about reinforced, um, ease my concerns that I'm worried about. All these types of things that we could ask to find out, which should ease instead of putting it on the candidate and making them feel anxious and defensive. We were, again, just going back to that. These are people. We need to be humane about things. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Uh, in like uh, moving on to like candidate experience in the like hiring process, what are some things that you think that companies can do like to improve their candidate experience, especially right now with everything going on? Yeah. So the, the number one thing I am seeing, and I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's, I don't know how I want to say this. So the number one thing I'm seeing right now would be the lack of interview closings. Just the closure providing a candidate the right experience says a lot with how you close it. And it's as easy as, thank you for coming in. As you know, as you may or may not know, you're the second or third pe person we're meeting. We still have a few more candidates to get to. We will follow up with you by. And when we say by, I mean, give them a firm date. And then we do not ghost these people. It's okay if you didn't make your decision by then. But don't leave them hanging. It's okay to get back to them and say, hey, you know what? We're, our, our timeline has pushed a little bit, but no, nothing has been done. It's really all about just being transparent and letting these people know because you don't want to dangle them when they are still looking for something. Dangling somebody, they, they may have pinned their, their hopes on you. They turn down another offer. And because you made things sound so great, they turn down another offer. You go in another direction. They're without a job. 
Now, is that a poor candidate choice, bird in hand? Sure, but we need to do what we can to be as honest as possible. So interview closure is a big one. Another big thing I'm, I'm a massive fan of is hearing organizations are finally not grading candidates against other candidates and really grading them against the knowledge, skills, and ability of the role. So it's on a recruiter to basically enforce compliance. When you have a hiring manager meet with somebody, you want that interview feedback, you want a completed scorecard by the end of the following business day. Because what we want to avoid is not sending any feedback, waiting till you see the next person and say, all right, I like that one better. That's a that's a, a big concept, stack ranking candidates. I think uh, I think going back to agency days, if I'm not sure how your agency days were, but Jeffrey, I, but I mine I know <laughs> you'd never want to submit your first can, your best candidate first because human nature, no matter what, who you submit, you can see yeah, I need to see more. Yeah, yeah, you submit the person that founded you know the technology and this is the role that they're working on, uh, and they still want to see you know okay, well if this person is this good, who else can you bring up? Uh, yeah, so the candidate one set that. the bar. Now I need yeah. to see everybody else best based on that. And that's a major pitfall. The major pitfall. So what we are finding is the reason I love these scorecards is it will hold a manager accountable. If you really fill out your scorecard on your favorable outcomes, what are the real essential functions of this role? You meet this candidate and fill it out afterwards. Use a simple three-point scale. I don't care if you want to call it a one, two, or three light, acceptable, strong, however you want to do it. But you meet that first candidate and they are a three. If a three is your best or strong is the best across the board on essential functions and your core values, why do you need to meet somebody else? Just to reaffirm your your subconscious, unconscious bias, like you met that first person, they were, for lack of better words, a rock star. You will almost never hear me say perfect candidate. I do not believe in it. But you met that first person, they did everything you were looking for. They checked off all your boxes. You go and meet two or three more just to grade them. In this economy, with what is going on, that person is going to have another job by the time you get back to them. So it's really preaching to the hiring manager, getting out of that mindset. It's another reason on whether you're an agency or in-house side, you try not to space out your interviews. You don't want to give a manager an interview on a Tuesday and then Friday, and then the following Wednesday, because you'll lose that person on the first one from Tuesday by the time they follow up on that last Friday. So I'm also a, a favor of just give me an interview day. Let me put my people in front of you. Make your decision at the end of that day. That, that, that's a great process. But the biggest thing you got to do when you are, in my world, fighting for every candidate, if I get my hands on one person, I want to make sure you're not just hiring out of desperation. So that scorecard should keep you honest. Let's talk about how expensive and what it costs to hire the wrong person. When you've identified they are the wrong person, how long they're going to be in that seat before we could even remove them. So this scorecard would prevent a hiring manager from just hiring out of desperation, but it also will stop them from being afraid to pull the trigger. Like When you meet that person, if you've been doing this long enough, you should be able to move forward confidently. And that should give them the better experience. So that's my number one thing on that candidate experience is closing an interview and interview scorecards right now. That's great. There's a lot of other things you can do, but th- those are the things I find are most important right now. Do you guys, um, I'm assuming you guys do kickoff meetings or some type of like preliminary meeting when you launch a new requisition? So we, we call it an intake call. Uh, a bulk of the recruiters have 
the same the same job descriptions for their same region, same hiring managers. So the job description is typically the same. The only thing that may or may not change is based on geography, any nuance like a language skill, or this location has extended hours, or there's seven days a week instead of Monday through Friday. So we, we would have an intake call with hiring manager. What are you looking for? You know, what's the KSA here? Here is the scorecard from the last time you use it. What, if any changes, do you need? And who's on your interview team? So I, I need to know right now what is going to be our interview process. I'm going to explain that to the candidate up front. Now, I always live by that 80-20 rule. I completely recognize and empathize. Sometimes operations last minute will say, well, you know what? We didn't realize this person is going to be interacting with Bill in this department. We want Bill to interview them. And then you pull this on the candidate last minute. It's not a great experience. But if we could avoid that 80% of the time, I feel good about our process. That's great. Um, yeah, I feel like that also goes back to your point of um, making sure um, you're closing candidates that are good um, is really just knowing who you want to interview from the get-go, right? It saves a lot of that back end, like starting the process over, missing out on good candidates that we were talking about um, simply because you're not, you don't know what you want. And I think those intake meetings. Sure. Really think about the candidate. So Jesse, let, let's think about you as a candidate. I am your recruiter. And I tell you, we want to move you forward. Here's what you should expect through your process. And I, I name two different department heads that you need to meet. And after you meet that second department head, I come to you and say, uh, actually, last minute, we need you to meet this person. Like, how confident are you feeling right now? Right. Well, what did I do wrong that now they're not sure that they added somebody else to the process? Um, the psychology person in me would say back to the hiring manager, what are you going to find out on a third interview that you haven't found out on the two from your hiring managers and the one from my recruiter? Because I know my recruiter is better than a standard recruiter. We are very behavioral based. We dig more than just, do you meet the requirements and can you work this schedule? So that will go back to, you know, my, my operations background is I, my, my TA phone screen is going to be probably harder than a hiring manager interview. No, I definitely believe that. I think it, it seems that, uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of it uh, is common sense, but uh, surprisingly, like a lot of talent acquisition, like processes are pretty, pretty poor um, overall, surprisingly. Um, there's you know, a lot of really good ones, but a lot of I, I will still always stand by common sense is not so common. More than twice a month, I shake my head on the fact that I have to explain something so elementary that is so common like how is this something i need to tell you right now yeah I totally feel you on that um uh, jeffrey it's been great having you on the podcast um what is the best way for people if they want to learn more about yourself or apply to radnet or learn more about candidate experience or, or anything else talent acquisition what's the best way for people to reach you yeah so i i will say i am a student of life so i am always willing to learn from anybody open communicator willing to talk chat so I am on Twitter at Jeffrey W. Shapiro. I am on LinkedIn in terms of our organization. Um, I will say we need to get better at our social experience, like a Radnet careers, but otherwise radnet.com. We are 350 outpatient imaging centers, 8,000 8, employees covering West Coast to East Coast, touching eight different states. So if you are in healthcare and you are very passionate about a patient experience, you are somebody we would want to talk to. Awesome. Jeffrey, thanks for joining me.
Jesse, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.